everyone, welcome back to the Daily Blend Show, episode 21 with me, Reed Daily. Today is February 5th, 2021, and this is the Friday Top 5. If you're new around here, the way this show works is we highlight five stories we thought were interesting, notable, or culturally significant. In this week's show, we're highlighting five stories from in and around sports and entertainment, technology, and of course, wine with stories talking about how Barstool is continuing to be bullish on video platforms, yet another former ESPN alumni is starting a new media company. Native Instruments, the popular DJ hardware and software company, is bought by private equity. Salesforce extends its capabilities into account mapping. We close out the show by exploring how Favino is helping people around the world explore and buy better wine. As always, you can get this episode and all other previous episodes on such great platforms as Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and of course, dailyblend.com. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and have all episodes downloaded automatically. And with all that said, let's jump into the show. So in our first story, we really highlight the fact that Barstool Sports CEO Eric Nardini, a.k.a. the token CEO, um, the token CEO being her podcast and sort of persona, um, has come out and said that their brand is really going to be emphasizing the use of such platforms as TikTok. She's quoting that visual platforms are winning every trend that you're seeing is originating on TikTok. The creativity and just the personalities and the weirdness is a unique format. I think it's partially why TikTok is exploding. It was just a direct quote from her and talking about the platform. But when we think about what Erica and her team has done, they've taken you know kind of a $100 million brand and expanded it into a $400 million brand through you know content um, and, and really being forward-thinking with different platforms and building content at, at scale uh, faster than, than their competition. And with TikTok, it's interesting to me that, you know, how companies like Barstool decide to, you know, invest time, energy into these platforms that they're willing to take flyers on, you know, platforms that are progressing. One would assume if they're bullish on TikTok, they're probably also gonna be quickly bullish on other platforms. Uh, like Clubhouse that bring people together and kind of is more of a visual, creative, um, engaging platform. And why, you know, I wanted to highlight this was the fact that, yes, Barstool is exploring TikTok, but they're a forward-thinking company. And if you look back at other companies who maybe were a little uh, afraid to use platforms like, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or even before that, Twitter, and Facebook, it, it's kind of strange to me or, or, or complex for companies rather um, to think about what is the framework for when I decide to invest uh, time, energy, and resources into growing up on a platform. And if you get in too late, did you miss the wave? If you get in too early and the platform you know, flops, did you just waste a lot of time and resources? So it would be interesting to see if, if any of these brands ever came out and published some sort of like framework or gating process that they do into you know deciding when to jump into a new platform um, what are the signals uh, that they do to make those leaps 
And, um, you know, for corporate businesses, it, it will be interesting to see in 2021 if you see larger sort of enterprise or corporate companies being willing to jump into the TikTok platform. It's a lot of content to create and manage across, you know, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and really trying to decide what content are you going to publish on each platform? Do you just publish the same content? Are there different flavors? of the content, et cetera. So our second story comes in on how traditional media might look a little different in the sports space in 2021 and beyond. And so this really is focused on a recent departure from ESPN where Dan Labart, and I know I'm saying his last name incorrectly, and the former president, John Skipper, are coming together to form a unique new brand. And if you're reading sort of the press releases on this, it's going to be one part, you know, premier content from, you know, industry leaders like Dan, as well as some sort of like crowdsourcing content. I don't think that's necessarily ideas, but maybe bringing new talent up uh, and, and promoting individual shows. And what I think is interesting is you're probably going to see a bifurcation in the market. You've got ESPN that's backed by Disney. And, of course, you know, Disney has launched Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. And so, you know, you're going to probably see more dollars spent on, in, you know, improving their platform and their premier shows. But then you're also going to see, you know, a more uh, bifurcated sense of people wanting to jump into niches so skateboarding snowboarding hockey you know mma um, any other sport you can think about and really having you know a, a cast of characters that can describe the sport be the sport kind of wear the sport on the front of their jersey and the back of their jersey if you will and, and help bring that to the public and i think you know if you look at what Barstool Sports has done, you know, they're one of the best at, at kind of bringing personalities to their stories. And I'd love to see more sports, you know, and sports commentating, bringing personalities to the sports. I think, you know, another uh, ESPN alumnus who does a fantastic job of this is Dan Patrick. And he's been able to bring his own personality and flavor to his own platform and channel through the Dan Patrick show. And has done a great job after leaving ESPN. Sure, it took him a little bit of time, but he's on you know a variety of different um, platforms, both traditional TV as well as internet. And hopefully, you know, we're just going to see more content in 2021 uh, from new creators. So this next story is really interesting to me because it bridges both of my interests, talking about music um, and music technology as well as sort of private equity and investments. So a massive portion of native instruments shares have been sold to San Francisco partners investment firms. And if you're not familiar with either of those groups, let me just give you an overview. So native instruments is one of the leaders in DJ software and hardware, as well as music production, hardware and software. San Francisco Partners is an investment firm out of San Francisco, among other places. And if you're less familiar with them, they more recently made a massive acquisition of MyFitnessPal from Under Armour. They have investments with companies like Eventbrite that we're going to talk about later, along you know, 20, 30 other investments. You can go to their website to look at their for full portfolio. <laughs> Now, what's cool about this story for me is the fact that I've been a user of Native Instruments' tractor platform for 10 years. And see, I've seen it grow from Final Scratch 
Pro, which was sort of a niche play. You know, it was popularized by Richie Hotton and his team. And, you know, it got evolved and really kind of commercialized through Native Instruments. And, you know, they started off with making sort of accessories or sort of little mini controllers that you would use in conjunction with mixers. And if you're not familiar with what a controller is, it's, you know, a piece of hardware that connects to your laptop. You kind of turn a knob in a physical, tactile sort of control, and then it manipulates it in the software and goes out to the the world, uh, if you will, from a, a DJ standpoint. And, you know, Native Instruments really was the premier player in and around the techno and house space. If you looked at, you know, any club over the last, you know, 10 years, if you're going to more of that, like, sort of underground show or techno show, you're going to see someone playing with Tractor. And over the last couple of years, they really let the platform go stale. And then probably about uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, they released version three of their software. They re released uh, two new controllers and, you know, things were looking up. And then all of a sudden they cut all of their, not all of their staff, but a large portion of their staff. And as soon as I saw that, I said, they're getting ready for an acquisition. They're leaning up. Um, on their headcount, and, and they're getting ready for someone to make an acquisition. So I am not surprised that they got acquired, but I am surprised at who acquired them. I thought, you know, someone like In Music, who actually goes around and, and buys up a lot of these smaller DJ companies, was going to make the acquisition and roll their software into their portfolio. What is more exciting is the fact that you're, you're bringing sort of a global player into the space who really knows how to create value for a company like this. And so, you know, what I'm expecting to see or hopeful to see is that we're going to see collaboration across their different lines of, of business. So that's their DJing, that's their music production, that's their sort of beat making solutions. And their, their hardware, I'm hoping, will become, you know, more readily available. You're going to see, you know, a greater influx of new product lines coming to market. And overall, you know, just a stronger, more cohesive um, set of software that's interconnected. Now, for those that are listening to this and are saying, you know, I'm concerned that this, you know, big conglomerate doesn't understand the DJ world. Well, you know, that's not really the role of an investment group like this. You know, they're not trying to come in and necessarily, you know, rip the the heart of the company out. They're trying to streamline operations, bring new capital and fresh ideas, help, you know, the company like this bring products and services to market at a greater velocity. I'm also super excited because, you know, if the team at San Francisco Partners is smart, they start making introductions to their other portfolios. And if you think about what Native Instruments should be doing, it's likely jumping into some sort of streaming uh, space where you can, you know, play music off platforms like, you know, Spotify, Beatport, BeatSource, iTunes, etc., and if they, you know, paired up, let's say, Eventbrite, which is another portfolio company of theirs, you could do live events uh, through, you know, some sort of streaming where you could sell tickets to those. And then when we're out of COVID, there could be some nice marrying up of, of Tractor and, and a profile where you're hosting actual events through Eventbrite. Um, there are a couple of other portfolio companies in um, San Francisco's portfolio that might you know, be a good partnership. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting over, you know, the next 
you know, let's say uh, eight months to hear, you know, what they're going to work on and then, you know, what they're going to be releasing. Because, you know, you're not going to see something in the next three months. It's probably going to be six to eight months uh, before they release uh, new updates to the software or sort of a new strategy for the company. So I'll personally be looking at this both from an investment standpoint um, and a growth standpoint, as well as just geeking out to technology at large. Keeping with the theme of talking about DJ equipment and music gear, I thought it would be interesting to talk about a few new pieces of equipment that are coming out in the marketplace that you know I'm personally excited about and would love to get my hands on to do a demo or review. So the reason some of this equipment is coming out, and it's really a, a trend that I want to talk about too, was the fact that every year around this time you'd have NAM, and NAM starts for North America Music Merchants Event. It's always held in Southern California. It's a three-day event, and it's really from everything from like big corporate companies down to you know the the folks that are building equipment out of their garage and are trying to look for a platform to sell it. And in years past, you'd spend a lot of money as a uh, you know a, a host to buy booth space and showcase your products or services. And as a you know a buyer or media personality, you'd buy a pass and go check out that equipment. And you know I've always seen YouTube videos of sort of more forward thinking. DJs and sort of musicians and production people go there and explore and see new equipment and obviously showcase some of their gear. Well, due to COVID, these times are sort of changing and companies are going direct to consumers with their marketing plays or working with, you know, brands that have a digital extension like DJ Times, like DJ Tech Tools, uh, showcasing, you know, the, their new products uh, through a, you know, a digital release. And the three companies that, you know, I'm very excited and want to get my hands on their new equipment are Rain, Pioneer, and Play Differently. Rain, uh, which is an in-music company, uh, has released a new piece of equipment that is basically two turntables that have motion platters so you can scratch and a little mixer. It's $1,400, which, you know, is slightly overpriced, I think, for who their target market is. And, and just in my opinion, I, I would have liked to see that come in at like, you know, seven or $800, um, just because I think it's a little expensive at that price point. But I, I think you get a lot out of that. And I'm super excited to see how those scratch platters work. I had older versions of those. And I know I'm just geeking out as like a DJ here. But uh, I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the market embraces that specifically scratch DJs, if they're willing to play ball with a controller. The next up is uh, Pioneer and Pioneer continues to release just a ton of new products. They've got new mixers, they've got their new CDJs that have come out, they've got their new 10-channel uh, mixer that competes with the, the next person uh, we're going to talk about. And, and I'd like to just explore how they're doing layering in that um, new uh, DJM uh, V10. And then the last thing is the uh, Play Differently 1.4 from Richie Houghton's company. Um, the idea is that this is a complete analog mixer, and instead of having a traditional sort of high, medium, and low filters, they're doing low-pass filters. It's just a different way to DJ, and I'm just, you know, a dork who wants to, you know, check it out and, and see how this different workflow, you know, works with my existing equipment and, and kind of some more, like, physical, non-in-software equipment. So 
Um, you know, I, I've put this, the links to all of this content of, of where you can find it and some videos on dailyblend.com. So head to the um, website to check that out. So our next story comes in from The Verge, and it was an interview about hype and influence with MKBHD. And if you're not familiar with who that is, his name is Marquez Brown, and he's been a YouTube star focusing on tech and tech enablement for the last 10 years. And Marquez was one of the first people to really do tech reviews well on the internet. And I think if you've watched some of his reviews, he's, he's really um, pretty good about not um, kind of just co-signing things, but giving an honest opinion. And he does a nice job of comparing different uh, pieces of equipment and software um, regardless of who manufactured them, which I think a lot of YouTube stars are afraid to do. They're afraid that if they do a bad review, then maybe they won't get sponsored posts is my assumption there. And, you know, he, he, he'll say something. If it's not good, he's going to highlight it. If he doesn't like a feature, he's going to highlight it regardless of the brand. I also think he's been able to get access to some really uh, important people in our society that are, you know, doing great stuff in and around the tech space. But the, the focus of this kind of highlight is the fact that he's been doing this for 10 years, or roughly 10 years, and he's starting to move into a larger space, and he's got a big team around him. And I'm interested and fascinated of how this like bottoms-up approach for content creators, and what's that sort of threshold when you've eclipsed you know, your abilities to create this content and disseminate it where you need to start building a team around you. And what's interesting to me is if you think about like Marquez going sort of bottoms up in the model, you know, when would someone like that take on an investor or really start to think about growing their team at, at sizable scales and moving from using YouTube as a platform or a channel rather and then going out and building their own platform where they can go direct to consumers so you know it's just a different approach than what Dan and John are doing with their company where they're kind of going more top-down with a traditional investor model and uh, it will be cool to see you know if groups like this can sort of meet in the middle and uh, you know who's gonna win the arms race of, of content creation and dissemination over time so our next story comes in on the new smart map that's released with Salesforce. And really what this looks at is uh, today's buying groups involve anywhere from six to 10 deal decision makers in a deal. And as buying groups expand and deals get more complex, sales teams struggle to keep up with contacts, relationships, and influence they might carry. That's because most businesses still rely on um, data entry and updated content details manually. And this approach typically ends one of three ways. Contacts go missing, deals are wrong, and information grows stale. So with People AI, businesses can bypass manual data entry with data platforms that automate contact captures and Salesforce mapping. Now, why do I care about this and why is this important? So why does this matter? You know, when you typically think about selling, you're, you're no longer selling into an individual person, right? You've got, you know, sort of your lead, you've got influencers, you've got decision makers, you've got subject matter experts, and I think there needs to be a toolkit that helps sales teams do a better job of mapping accounts and understanding all the actors. I think having more things visually on your phone or on a desktop just helps to bring all that into light, making it easier for teams to share information and speed things up. I think when you think about Salesforce, they're typically 
running, uh, you know, new capabilities in and around this year. And so, you know, I'll be curious to see how this update uh, gets enhanced. You know, Salesforce does three major updates a year. So this will be sort of their first one. And, you know, users will get in there and give some feedback and expect to see, you know, this feature set grow. Uh, especially in this distributed uh, world we're living in where you're not necessarily going to be in meetings with all these people. So you're going to have to like sort of digitally connect the dots. I think this is a great tool uh, to do so. So you know how they say you leave the best for last? Well, I feel like that's what we've done here with the last story about Vivino. And this is not like they're releasing some sort of new feature. I just thought it was interesting to highlight this app because I've been using it a whole lot during the pandemic. So for those less familiar with Vivino, it's a pretty great little app that's on uh, iOS. I assume it's on Android. And you take a picture of the label uh, of a bottle of wine, and it gives you information on you know where it's from, the name of the wine, the varietals, other ratings, allows you to buy the wine if it's in sort of its trusted uh, network of wine resellers. It tells you average price of it. And for me, I've really enjoyed using this because, you know, it talks to me about like when the right time to open it, what other people are thinking about it, helps me sort of explore the notes of the wine. And, you know, I like the fact that I can be in a wine store and maybe not necessarily know a wine. I can take a picture of it with my label uh, shooter and, and get some information on pricing, first of all, to make sure that I'm not getting ripped off at a wine store and also just what other people are thinking about it. So when I look at the stats, they've got over a 1.5 billion labels scanned. They've got almost 13,000 wines in their database. They've got 3,000 wine regions and 49 million users. So it's clearly an app and service that people are loving. And if you follow my Instagram, you're going to see many more uh, wines in my new, my feed because, you know, honestly, I just like drinking wines. I like drinking good wines. That doesn't necessarily mean expensive wines. And I, I really want to highlight what I'm drinking so that people can kind of ping me and say, hey, check out this bottle, check out this vineyard, because as soon as COVID's done, I am heading to wine country for my first trip uh, to the West Coast uh, to check it out. I've always wanted to do it. I want to go to wine country. I want to ride the train through wine country. So if anyone has done that trip, please send me a tweet or find me on Instagram and give me their playbook. I'm desperate to know the right way to do that. All right, that wraps up episode 21 of the Daily Blend Show. Don't forget to find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and hit that subscribe button so you have all episodes downloaded automatically. Find Daily Blend at Daily Blend and dailyblend.com, and find me, Reed Daily, that's R-E-E-D-D-A-I-L-E-Y, on Twitter and Instagram. And with all that said, enjoy your day, and we'll hope to get you on the next episode.